Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. The Northern Hemisphere autumnal equinox is right around the corner. It's that day of the year when there are equal hours of daytime and nighttime. On the Gregorian calendar, it marks the first day of fall, and it's around this celestial event that many harvest festivals are celebrated in preparation for the nights becoming longer and colder. One such celebration that is taking place right now is the Jewish holiday Sukkot, and it is what gave me the inspiration for this week's episode topic. Sukkot is a celebration that places importance on the temporary living structures called booths that early Jews would live in while collecting the harvest. It also places great value on what are called the four species. If you remember my episode on Tubishvat and the seven species, then you should know that this is something different. The four species associated with this holiday have been interpreted in different ways over history, but today is widely accepted to include willow, myrtle, date palm, and a strange fruit called the citron. But because of the history of this fruit, some historians raise the question of why it is included in this short list of holy plants. I want to talk about the citron. We are familiar with a variety of fruits that we refer to as citrus. In reality, there are only a small handful of citrus fruits that grow wildly. Most of what we know as citrus are hybrids that we bred between this base group. Among the original citrus fruits, citron is very important. And that importance is reflected in our religions, not just with Judaism, but wherever this acidic fruit has been taken. You guys know what lemons and limes are. Those guys are the citrus babies. Today, we're looking at citrus daddy. The citron, for those who have no idea what that is, is closest in appearance to a lemon. It's a big round fruit with a thick yellow peel. The biggest difference is that citrons are like 70% rind, and for the most part, inedible. Some people may like it. I don't know. I knew a kid in middle school who ate lemon rinds. He could also lick his elbows, so he just had a lot going for himself in general. The tree itself, however, looks much different than a cultivated lemon tree. The citron is a tall shrub. It won't grow much higher than 15 feet or 5 meters. It's got these evergreen compound leaves on account of it originating closer to tropical latitudes. Citron flowers are pretty cool, I think. They are star-shaped and vary in color from white to pink. Also, these flowers are scientifically perfect. I don't think I've gotten to talk about that concept yet. I've talked about how sometimes male and female flowers grow on separate individuals, and sometimes they grow on the same plant. In some cases, male and female parts are all stuffed together in the same flower. Scientists refer to these flowers as bisexual, and they are considered to be perfect. One other feature is that citron trees are thorny, but most citrus trees are, and I think that's a feature many people aren't aware of. In Latin terms, the tree is called Citrus Medica. Citrus has long been the name for this fruit, and its name origin is pretty much unknown. The species name Medica may seem obvious, it's like medical. It's actually in reference to Media, an old name for the Persian Empire where the Romans thought this fruit to have originated. All the other base citrus plants are in the citrus genus, and they all belong to the Rue family Rutaceae. Also in this family, you may recognize the curry tree, whose leaves are important ingredients in Indian cooking, and the Szechuan pepper, which is a popular feature in the Chinese kitchen. 
A lot of flavor in this family, you love to see it. So where do all the other citrus plants that we know about come from? First we start with the five base citruses. Citron, pomelo, mandarin orange, kumquats, and some weird green thing called a micrantha. Without prior knowledge, I could not have guessed that this was the OG citrus squad. So I'm going to lay out a family tree for you and just start doing math, adding fruits together and seeing what the outcome is, like fruity alchemy. To keep things simple, I'm going to stick to how we make lemons, limes, oranges, and grapefruits. I know there's other citruses out there, but how much do any of us care about them, really? The first thing that you need to know is that mandarin oranges were propagated multiple times in different ways, leaving us with three main types of mandarin oranges. I'm going to refer to them as generations, and there are several cultivars of mandarin oranges per generation. I'm just going to lump them together. That's really all you need to know about them. We'll go ahead and start with oranges. If you cross a first-generation mandarin orange with a pomelo, that gets you what is called the sour or bitter orange. As the name suggests, it's not what you make juice out of. This fruit is more used for marmalades and jams or extracts or liqueurs or any sort of baking use for the orange. The standard orange that you would normally buy at the store is a sweet orange, and that is made by crossing two later generation mandarin oranges. Who knew that orange plus orange equals orange? It's this same way that tangerines are made, just with different later generation cultivars. To this day, I'm not sure I know the difference between an orange and a tangerine. This right here is apparently it, this is the difference, but I don't know if that changes anything for me. One last fun orange family concoction is mixing the common sweet orange with pomelos. That's how you get the beautiful pink grapefruit. And it's at this point where I start to feel like I know too much. Like, it doesn't feel right that our common orange is the father of grapefruit. But the weirdness doesn't stop there. Take a sour orange, the baking kind, mix that with a citron, and that's how you get lemons. This next one's fun. So, sour orange is made from a first-generation mandarin and a pomelo, right? There's another weird orange that comes from mixing a later generation mandarin with a pomelo. Take this other hybrid, which doesn't really have much commercial value, I think, mix that with a citron, and that's how you get Meyer lemons. If you're not familiar with Meyer lemons, you are missing out because they are the superior lemon. They're a little bit darker yellow than your standard lemon, but they have more sweetness to balance with that lemon acidity. A couple winters ago, I was working at a park in southern Arizona, and this guy walked into our visitor center with a wooden crate full of oranges and Meyer lemons, and he was like, Hey, I picked all these fruits from my yard, but I can't use all of these. Do you rangers want them? And yeah, I absolutely wanted them. Unfortunately, I kind of wasted them. You see, I wanted to try and make a Meyer lemon frozen custard, but I had never made frozen custard before, and I had no practice with tempering eggs. Ultimately, the flavors were great, but the consistency was... Ugh. Let's see, what haven't I covered? Limes. Fun fact, the key lime actually came before what we call a normal lime. Normal limes are specifically called Persian limes, and key limes can also be called Mexican limes, even though they originated in Southeast Asia. Key limes came about from crossing citrons and a micrantha, that weird green thing that I told you not to worry about because... Who has heard of Micrantha? Apparently Micrantha is Papa Lime. Then you get regular limes from crossing key limes and lemons. And that's just another thing that makes me uncomfortable. 
Some of these base citrus are pretty unobtainable for me. <coughs> my Krantha. And for whatever reason, that's the way my brain says things are supposed to be. But I can do this equation. I can go to the store and grab a key lime and a lemon and a normal lime and say you plus you equals you. And I don't like that I have that power. And I know I just went through this vast history in a matter of minutes. But this weird science didn't occur overnight. We didn't wake up one day and suddenly have all these different fruits. The citrus group has been on a journey. So let's start from the beginning and see how we got everything we're seeing at the farmer's market. So where does the citron come from? I usually get my lemons from California, but unfortunately it's just not that easy. The citron is one of those tricky plants whose origins are shrouded in doubt because it was not only taken around the known world, but also planted and cultivated in these new lands as well. It's believed that India was where the citron plant originally grew wild, but some claim that it originated in southwestern China and its first spread was to northeast India from there. It definitely showed up early in Hindu symbolism though, it was seen both as a symbol of prosperity and fertility considering the many seeds, and the gods that represent those ideals are often depicted holding a citron. Thousands of years before the founding of Hinduism though, it had already started to make its way west to the ancient civilization of Mesopotamia. This is the region referred to by historians as the Cradle of Civilization, starting between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and spanning modern day Syria, Iraq, and Iran. This is where the first human empires formed, where inventions like the wheel and writing systems first paved a path forward for our species, so it makes sense that it would be a magnet for nearby interesting natural goods. But if the citron was an all-rind bitter lemon essentially, then why was it already in trade routes at 4000 BCE? Basically, it was treated entirely unlike the lemon is today. In regards to consumption, the rind is able to be candied or preserved and can be used as an ingredient once the bitterness was taken care of. But as the scientific name mistakenly alludes, it also played roles in early medicine. This fruit was used as an antidote to poison, a sedative, an antibiotic, and it was supposed to help relieve muscle spasms. It also smelled really good. It has that lemony scent that I don't know how many cleaning products base their odor around. And from Mesopotamia, it seemed to spread with the advancement of civilization in general. Records indicate that the citron made it as far west as the Mediterranean island of Cyprus as early as 1200 BCE. Now, for both Mesopotamia and Cyprus, you may be wondering how we know that it was there. And admittedly, the evidence is shrouded in doubt, but in both cases, scientists came to this conclusion based off of archaeological finds of citrus seeds in those areas, whose ages were determined by dating the surrounding rock. Aging something using radiocarbon is something I go into great detail on in my bristlecone pine episode. Where the doubt lies is that these seeds were super old and very decayed. We were able to identify them as citrus seeds, with no hard evidence indicating which citrus species. But the leading theory remains citron. As I've said, there's only so many naturally made citrus fruits, and most of them are native to China or Southeast Asia, with the citron believing to have come from Northeast India. At that time, land routes were the preferred method of trade, so it goes with reason that the citron is what made it west first based on proximity. It's really hard to nail down a concrete timeline, to be honest. We have to work with what evidence we have, and that is kind of scattered across various centuries. We concretely have evidence for fossilized citrus pollen, of all things, stuck in layers of plaster outside Jerusalem that date back to the 4th or 5th century BCE. 
This brings me back to my original introduction of the importance with the citron, its status as one of the important four species of the Jewish holiday Sukkot. Let's figure out the validity of this claim. How did the imported fruit citron come to play a role in what was originally the most important Jewish holiday? In regards to Sukkot, this holiday was celebrated at least as early as 1000 BCE. Back then, it was considered THE holiday. This harvest of summer crops was sort of flexible in date and could be moved to correspond with major events. For example, the Hebrew Bible tells us that the Sukkot celebration was used to commemorate the construction of the First Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem around 960 BCE. At that point, it had already been established as this meaningful celebration. The Hebrew Bible also gives us instructions for celebrating Sukkot. I'm specifically referring to the inclusion of the four species that are supposed to represent the harvest. Directly, the four species are referred to as Lulav and Hadar. Lulav is sometimes referred to as just one of the four species, namely palm frond, but is also sometimes represented as a bundle of three of the species, palm frond, willow branch, and myrtle bough. Sometimes it's all four, including citron, which is also referred to as etrog in this setting. Initially, the companion of the lulav is referred to as hadar, which translates to fruit of the goodly tree, or beautiful tree, or beautiful fruit. Apparently, even ancient Jews were like, what does this mean? Some translations apparently suggest that the phrasing and context for hadar mentions fruits plural, maybe not even referencing a specific fruit, but just saying that in addition to this bundle of symbolic branches to have a collection of beautiful fruits. It is possible that for some time this is how the holiday was celebrated, but as time passed, those who studied the Torah looked to it more for concrete instructions for rituals and rites, and a determination needed to be made for this vague beautiful fruit reference. Around the time of the second temple, circa 500 BCE, it was basically decided to interpret Hadar as etrog or citron. This was basically chosen as THE beautiful fruit. It was exotic and foreign, and smelled good and had medical properties, and wasn't good to eat, which in some ways adds to its beauty. It flowered throughout the year, but also had thorns. If anything was going to be given religious importance, it kind of makes sense that something so strange as the citron was chosen, despite it being non-native to this region. So does the Hebrew Bible tell the Jewish people to incorporate specifically etrog or citron into their harvest festival? Most likely, no. Does it make sense that they use it anyway in the modern day? Yeah, of course it does. It's their holiday, and they can celebrate it however they want. In the most basic sense, the Torah calls for beautiful fruit, and they've decided this fruit is beautiful, so it fits the bill. I just like unraveling how that came to be on account of the citron not being native to their homelands. It's an interesting progression, but the story of the citron doesn't just stop there. We already see this fruit reaching the eastern shores of the Mediterranean a thousand years before the Common Era, but it's believed that it wasn't carried across the Mediterranean until around 300 BCE. This would have been when Alexander the Great was spreading the influence of the Roman Empire far and wide, and he also liked to find cool stuff and take them home. I mentioned this was how the banyan, or strangler fig, made it into Roman literature. And it was likely in these same travels that Alexander the Great gathered some citrons and brought them back to his botany buddy, Theophrastus. This fruit's name has changed several times across several languages, and at this point the Romans referred to it as the Persian apple or Median apple, indicating that they had collected it from the lands of the Persian Empire that they were now trying to conquer. Also, this came up with the pomegranate being called the Apple of Carthage. I was curious about how often the pomegranate was compared to the apple, and I've come to learn that apple was a placeholder name for fruit. This has significant implications for the apple itself, 
But for now, when you see other fruits being called apple, that's just what Romans called fruit in general. Back to Theophrastus, this early botanist actually reported that when they discovered the citron, it was only growing in Persia at the time, which in context just refers to Iran, but the influence of the Persian Empire spanned from India to Turkey, so that's kind of a lot of area. But Theophrastus' book, Inquiry into Plants, reveals some information about what they understood of the citron at the time. Quote, The apple is not eaten, but is very fragrant, as also is the leaf of the tree. And if the apple is placed among clothes, it keeps them from being moth-eaten. It is also useful when one has drunk deadly poison. For being given in wine, it upsets the stomach and brings up the poison. End quote. So, that's where we get the idea that citron was a poison antidote? It just makes you throw up, which got rid of the poison. That's like saying a finger down your throat is a magical antidote to poison. I always talk about how cultivated plants came west, though. What about the east? Well, China is tricky. I've mentioned there's some controversy over the citron's origin. Some say that it's from China to begin with. Those who say it came from India still have questions about how it got to China. There's the theory that it went east along the Silk Road, and all the way from Rome by some accounts. Others believe that it moved east from India and Nepal as Buddhism itself moved in that direction. As we see with Hinduism, the citron is a symbol of prosperity and plenty in Buddhist tradition. There's actually a specific variety of citron growing in China called Buddha's Hand. It's kind of terrifying. One end of the fruit is round, like normal, but the other end splits into a cluster of finger or tentacle-like appendages. If you're familiar with the Cthulhu monster of the Lovecraft mythos, or of Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean, that's the look this fruit is going for. But yellow, like a lemon. I actually found this terrifying fruit at a grocery store in Kansas a couple years ago. I had no idea what it was, but I bought it on the spot with the intention to research it later. I learned about how to candy the peel and ultimately baked it into some shortbread cookies. They were pretty good. They paired well with some lavender tea. I'm probably going to stick with our main man lemon in the future, but it was a fun experience. Speaking of lemon, all those common citrus hybrids that are more common to our western experience all sort of sprang up here and there. Most of them in China, considering how all of the original citrus plants are from Eastern Asia. Some came about very early on like the orange, while others like certain limes came later, when some citruses met up in the Americas and the Portuguese had gotten to Brazil. Some are very recent, as in new to the last century, like the Meyer lemon. That one came about thanks to some curious cultivating by a botanist slash explorer named Frank Meyer. If you don't remember the name Frank Meyer, you may recall my stories about Frank the Adventure Man from my Bradford Pear episode. That's the same guy! What is this, a crossover episode? As time passed and the international community became more connected, these citrus fruits became globally common. The citron has a history, but what about its impact on the present day? Admittedly, this fruit has been phased out of a lot of Western culture. Some Southern European countries integrated into cuisine, but otherwise we've created countless hybrids that take the base characteristics of citron and amplify what we want to see, between cuisine, medicine, insect repellent, and cleaning supplies or other fragrant applications. And that's the real legacy of the citron today. This fruit that was deemed holy and exotic by ancient civilizations has given us in our current era the uses that first gave it value. Go to the grocery store, you're probably not going to see citron. But it's because of the original citrus fruits, like citron, that we have every modern citrus we do see. I personally love citrus. My mother likes to tell me that she always craved sour things when she was pregnant with me, and sure enough, lemon and lime are some of my favorite flavors. Key lime pie? A top tier pie. Lemon candies are always my favorite flavor of candy. 
And yes, that includes yellow Starburst. I throw away the pinks and love the yellows, and I know there are at least a dozen of you that won't burn me at the stake for that comment. But the reason we can have such hilarious and arbitrary modern controversy is because of the journey that us humans have taken the citron on. The history of important fruit trees continues in two weeks. October 5th is actually the birthday of one of my closest and oldest of friends, so I asked him about his favorite trees. He gave me some ideas, and ultimately I decided on the coconut tree. You won't want to miss it because this is going to be the chillest episode I have ever made. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug.